Ephesians chapter 3, the first 13 verses. Please follow in the reading of the Word of God. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which has been given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promises of Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to me, given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery for all the ages, which has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask, you do not lose heart at your tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Father, we come today to, to, to begin to understand and to begin to grasp, to begin to drink deep of the massive plan of salvation, redemption, and your body manifested here in a lost and dying world. Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters that they hear, that they are overwhelmed at the privilege they have. They are overwhelmed at what we already possess. And that, Father, we utilize that possession to the glory of you who bestowed your grace upon grace upon grace upon each and every one of your children. Help us to hear, Lord. Help us to understand. In Christ's name, amen. Those of you who've been with me for a while understand that every time I move into another text, uh, another section, I give a, the first message is basically a, an overview of what we're getting ready to look at. I named this piece, this section, uh, Mystery Revealed. I, I got to keep bringing back to you the letter of Ephesians. And the reason is this simple. I want each and every one of you to learn how to be amazing students of the Word of God. I want you guys to know how to study Scripture. All right? And how I do that is tell you how I do it. All right? And the first and simplest way is read it. Okay, don't read your favorite verses. Read the book. I, I shared that in Sunday school. Nobody goes to Romeo and Juliet and that was written by 
Shakespeare and says, I like this part. What part? No one takes J.K. Rowling and reads, you know, the one part, the one paragraph in chapter three. That's my favorite. Ain't nobody does that. You read the book. Right? Why wouldn't I do that with scripture? You know, my favorite verse is the one that's easiest to memorize. You know which one that is? He wept. That's awesome. We don't do that. Read this thing. This book is broken up in half. All right? First three chapters, last three chapters. First three chapters is theology. I want you to understand that. It is the theology of the church. Okay? Theo is God. Ology is the study. So when you hear the word theology... You want to know that it is the study of God. Well, then how can that be the church? I thought you would never ask. The church is the body of Christ. Christ was the incarnate God. So if I'm going to study the theology of the church, then I'm studying the manifestation of God today. Instead of 2,000 years ago in one human being. Okay? The manifestation of God today is the church. That is the body of Christ. It is not a building. It is not an organization. So we are going to be either learning or relearning these truths concerning the church, the body of Christ, and the unity that already exists. Verse 3 there. Chapter 3. It, it's as a mystery. Okay? I was reading John Calvin, and he called it sacred secrets. I think that's kind of cool. So, you see in verse 3 there, the revealing of this mystery... And that is what 1 through 13 is that we're dealing with. Now, I want to, I got to cover a lot of ground and I can't do it in a lot of detail. So you're going to have to do some on your own or you're going to have to just say, okay. All right. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, we have a text that everybody's kind of funny to watch people do theological yoga over. It's not really that complicated, but it's funny to watch people. I get quite entertainment out of it. And it is called the 70 weeks of Daniel. And this is the end of the age. Okay, here's the thing. Now, you got to be honest. Daniel kind of had his act together, right? I mean, when you got angels coming down, answering your prayers, that's connections. All right. And the one angel came down and said, Daniel, you are highly exalted in heaven. Okay, now you understand that's before the cross. So the only thing that is in heaven is the holy angel and God. And that's kind of a group that you want to be highly exalted by. So Daniel had insight. All right. But he didn't have all the answers. He gives us the 70 weeks of Daniel. He gives you the 69. 
And then he explains to you the 70th week of Daniel. And if you do your own study and you're honest to Scripture, the 70th week of Daniel is the seven years of tribulation. But one of the things that you don't see in the book of Daniel is this. There is a gap between the 69th week of Daniel. That's when Messiah would be cut off. All right. And the 70th week of Daniel is when God's judgment to draw Israel back starts. Okay. But you know what? There's a gap between the 69th and 70th week. All right. We don't know what it is. How long is it? Well, I know it's at least 2,000 years. Well, how do I know that? Because that's the church. That is the mystery that has been revealed. The church age is called the mystery form of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Listen, there are many mysteries in the church. Many things that God has revealed, there are many, to use Calvin's terminology, many sacred secrets that are within the church that were never known in history. Listen, someone like Daniel didn't know it. He had no idea, no concept. We should know that you and I right now, every one of us, I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care what your place in society is. I don't care what your educational background is. It doesn't matter. Every one of you who is saved this day are a part of the mystery. Every one of us. God has given us tremendous insight. Tremendous insight into divine truth. I always get excited when I read Scripture. And you know why? I'm literally looking into the mind of God. What is He thinking? Why is He thinking that? How is He going to do that? Wow! How powerful is He? Every time I read, that's what I get. It was never known what you and I are part of, even by the greatest Old Testament saints. They did not realize what it was. God's revelation is unique, very unique. And some things God never reveals at any time to anybody. They are what I would call the permanent sacred secrets. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Secret things belong to the Lord. Okay? And we all think that we can figure it out. It's just like, well, I hear people try to explain to me when the second coming is. That's funny. Jesus didn't know when it was. And you do? So every time I hear someone, I think, ah, my grandfather was right. Better to be quiet and thought stupid than open your mouth and remove all doubt. All right? When someone tells me, I know when Jesus is going to come, you know what? I do too. When my heart stops, Jesus is there. It's kind of weird. I can't say that I'm encouraging it. But if it happens, oh well, cool. So let me give you three things I want you to think about on divine revelation. 
Some things, one, some things nobody has known, no one does know, or will know in this life. Okay? The second coming of Christ is one of those things. There ain't nobody who knows that. There's no one who will know that. But you know what? When it happens, guess what? You'll know. There'll be no doubt in your mind. You'll be here, and then you're not. And you'll say, whew, that must be like the second coming of Christ, huh? He doesn't give us all of it because of a number of reasons. One, it's either too complex for us to even... You know, cause our brain to fall out our left ear or something. Or, it may be too fearful. Or, it may be too private. Or, some reason that God has chosen to keep it secret. Know this, 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, because at some point, each one of us will no longer need faith. We will no longer need hope. And all will remain is love. When will that happen? In his presence. And then you know what it says? You will know as you are known. Because when you're in absolute purity of the existence of God in His presence, it won't be too complex, it definitely will not be fearful, and it will not be too private. Secondly, there are some secrets that He has revealed to what I call special people in times past. Okay? Old Testament. It's interesting to me. If you study the Old Testament, he tells us, he reveals his secrets to the prophets. Okay? You know what's interesting about that? Why not the priest? He only offers them to the prophets. You ever thought about that? I have. You know why he doesn't? The priests are here to take man to God. The prophets bring God to man. You don't hear them out killing the priests. They kill the prophets. Why? Because usually if a prophet is speaking on behalf of God, he's not really bringing the best of news. Okay? Uh, It's usually something like, you might want to duck... Or, you know, maybe stone yourself and crawl under a rock and die or something to that effect because God is fed up. All right. There are those Old Testament saints in the age before the cross who God revealed certain sacred truths, certain great divine realities. They were life changing and they were eternal all right. Thirdly, there are some sacred secrets which God never revealed in the past. He never. Why didn't Daniel know that between the 69th week and the 70th week would be the church age? 
Why didn't he know that? I don't know. God chose not to give it to him. You know what's really cool about it? He knows it now. Right? He can just sit there and go, well, I'll be a son of a gun. But he says it in Hebrew. Okay, I just want to make you. I just don't know how to say son of a gun in Hebrew. He never revealed these, not even to the most godly prophets. Okay? But you know what is awesome? And you guys better get a hold of this. He has now revealed them to us in this church age. Every single one of us. Those are the secrets of the New Testament. In the New Testament, they are called mysteries. And I like it because mysteries of God's are truths. They are truths. They have never been revealed before. But they have been revealed finally in the New Testament. And the New Testament is full of these truths. Secrets never known before. Okay? But now I want you to focus. Okay? These secrets. You take, some of you take some of these for granted. One. About the Christ. About the Christ. About the church. About the Spirit of God. Great divine truths that no one who has ever lived has ever known have been given to you. About Christ, about the church, about the Spirit of God. First Peter tells us in chapter 1, The prophets searched these things that they might themselves try to uncover the secrets that they were writing they were writing this stuff down and then they backed away from it. I don't know what that is. And yet you and I read now, Peter tells us about, he compares the Mount of the Transfiguration. Okay, now I don't know who you, who you are, what you do or whatever, but I'm going to do it, tell you this. That's an experience. When you're standing on the mountainside, And Jesus Christ pulls back his humanity, reveals the glory of God. And then Moses and Elijah are standing there. I'm sitting there going, and Peter's conclusion was, we should build like a tabernacle or something here. And I got to give Peter credit because I've just been sitting there going. (laughs) Okay, do I run? Oh, I can't run. I can't even stand up. All right. He says, look at that. But then he says, but we have scripture more sure. How bizarre is that? Why? Because he understood that the Old Testament prophets wrote down stuff that they're like, I don't know what this is. So. A mystery is a secret of God hidden from the foundations of the world and revealed in the church age. That time between the 69th week and the 70th week of Daniel. There are a whole bunch of them. But one of those mysteries is that the church would be made up of Jew and Gentile. 
bond and free, male and female, Greek and barbarian. Remember what Greek and barbarian is, right? You know what, people, I love every one of you. You know what you are? Barbarians. Because you don't speak Greek. All right? That everybody is all included and would be one in Christ Jesus. All right? That was a mystery. In the Old Testament, the Jews understood that Gentiles would be saved. They'd heard about the fish bait prophet, Jonah, and that the Gentiles got saved. He's mad about it, but you know what? I'm sure none of us have ever been mad about what God was doing, huh? When you get mad at God about what he's getting ready to do, don't go fishing. They understood Gentile salvation. They understood that completely. They understood that the Gentiles would be in the kingdom. They understood that God has plans of grace toward the Gentiles. They understood that. But they never understood that Jew and Gentile would literally be one. You had the holy holies. You had the holy place. You had the court of the Israelites. You had a wall. Then you had the court of the Gentiles. Then you had a court of the women. All were divided. They had no idea that they would all be one. There is no difference. The wall would be removed. There's no distinction. All men, women, children are equal before God. Listen, they didn't have no understanding of that. They understood there was a Messiah coming. You know, I spoke to a rabbi in on the Temple Mount. He has a, uh, the synagogue is called the synagogue of Jerusalem because it's on it's across the plaza from the Western Wall. He's expecting Messiah. I sat and talked with him at length because I asked him, tell me about Messiah. But anyway. These are things that we have to... Because he, he knew. He knew what a Messiah is supposed to be. Okay? They're still waiting. But they had no concept, no understanding whatsoever, the mystery of the incarnation. God in human form walking among us in the person of Jesus Christ. They didn't get it. That don't make sense. They didn't understand. They didn't understand Messiah would literally indwell each believer. Chapter 3, later on in this chapter, you'll see that you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus Christ so that God will do exceedingly abundantly. Wait a minute. I thought I was only indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Read your Bible. Holy Spirit cleans up the house so Jesus dwells at peace that God will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or ask. So who do you dwell with? Yes. See, that's one of the things about the Trinity that we have fallen into. We separate them. You got God's here. Holy Spirit's kind of cruising around here stirring up junk and Jesus is waiting. Come on, Dad. When am I going back? When am I going back? That ain't the way it works. That's one of the things that is... Fascinating about the Holy Spirit. I heard people describe Holy, the, the Trinity is like water. You have steam, you have water, and you have frozen. Not all at the same time. 
The Trinity is all at the same time. If you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're indwelt by God. If you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and God, guess who else you're indwelt by? Christ. How does that work? Ask Him when you see Him. Okay? They didn't understand it. The Jews didn't understand that. I'm not sure that we do. That Messiah would literally indwell the believer. Christ in you. The mystery. Many things they knew, but they never understood the fullness of the truth. They'd read Daniel. They understood it. Looking at this letter, the letter of Ephesians, he's dealing primarily with the mystery of the body that it is one in Christ. It's an important message. It's important to us that Jew and Gentile... Bond and free, male and female, Greek and barbarian, they are one in Christ. I am not more important than anybody else in this room. But you know what's really cool? Neither are you. Now, some of us think we're important. Okay? That's all right. You'll be humbled. <laughs> Okay, I just hope I'm not around when you do it. But anyway. To understand that everyone who is a Christian is equal to everyone who is or who will be a Christian. That's Galatians 3.28. We are all one in Christ. That's that list. Jew, Gentile. Greek, barbarian. Bonds... Master, whatever, male, female, we're all one in Christ. That is now, brothers and sisters, we're not making it. It isn't our denomination has got it figured out. I know some Baptists right now, I don't want to be chained to on Judgment Day. That's fine. But those who are in Christ are one now. Right now, the unity of the church is one of the most important messages of the entire New Testament. And the people say, no, 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 no. The gospel is the important message of the New Testament. Well, how do you separate those two? Is not the unity of the church the gospel? That's how we're supposed to be able to reach more. Why? Look how they are one. What grief we must cause our Savior. And let me give you a, a kind of a, a picture of it, all right? The unity. Now, I told you the first three chapters are theology. This is what your position is. This is what is yours if you're saved. The next three chapters, okay, four, five, and six, you go through those, guess what? This is what that looks like. All right? Philippians chapter 2, verse, first eight verses. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ. Now, I want you to listen how the Apostle Paul words this stuff. Don't go look this up. Just listen to what I'm saying. Chapter 2, first eight verses. Remember this. Paul's chained to a Roman soldier. 
He's not sure whether he's going to be martyred or not. This is what he's writing to the believers in Philippi. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. How, Paul? How can I make your joy complete, Paul? How can I do that, Paul? By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also of the interests of others. Have this attitude. In yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, all, who, although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Okay, that is unity. That is unity. Regard one another more important than yourselves. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have the attitude of Christ Jesus. Being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the spirit, intent on one purpose. That's unity. You know what? When you're not there, what grief do you cause? It's an interesting concept, don't you think? It grieves God that we don't keep the unity of the Spirit. Okay? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Remember I told you 4, 5, and 6 is what we do now that we understand our position. 4.3, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We all look at that and say, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's totally awesome. That's totally awesome. But you know what you just missed? Are you diligent about it? Is that something that's forefront in my life and my walk? This is what I want to do? See, God has worked to get the message of unity to the church. So that is the position is already there. It's tough to make the reality to live it. This letter is written to explain the unity of the body of Christ. How we are all one. Paul is hammering this point home. And you know what? Your pastor has been praying that you would all understand it. Because it's lacking. I love you guys, but it's lacking. We are all one. Okay, listen, doesn't mean we all belong to the same church. Okay, because I've watched this before. I, I, maybe I've been around too long. Maybe it's time for me to go fishing. No, wait. I read that. Never mind. I'll go do the running of the bulldogs. 
like that commercial. I, I like, I like bulldogs. That's that's cool. Come on, come on, puppy. Let's run, puppy. I think I can outrun you. Listen, I look at people in the body of Christ, and the commonality that I see pretty consistently is I'm sitting here, I'm not hassling the unity, I'm not being negative about nothing. Therefore, I'm preserving the unity and the bonds of peace. See, I'm doing what I'm doing. Okay? Okay, that would be the negative side. I've seen people, I know people who complain. I've, I've been here in this church long enough that I've had people complain about everything about me. Well, you're just speaking dangling participles. I said, yeah, but they're not falling participles. That's important. When you drop a participle, now you go, oh, man, you got a mess. I just make mine dangle. And then I have to walk away and say, I don't even know what they're saying to me. Anyway. I've had people complain about you name it. They complain about. It. I ride a motorcycle. Let's complain about it. He wears. He doesn't wear a helmet. Let's complain about it. He's got a beard. How can he be a man of God with a beard? You ever seen me with sharp things? You don't want me shaving. All right. So see, I'm looking out and protecting. But there's a positive side, and I want Castle Rock Baptist Church to understand this one this day. You may not be destroying the unity by complaining. Okay. But then I'll ask you the question. Are you adding to the unity? Perhaps that is what I see in most Christians. They're not stirring nothing up. But they ain't adding anything. I'm not fighting the unity of the church. I'm just not helping it. Okay? I know then the question is, or at least the question is, I hope. (laughs) What should I do? Well, everybody knows the answer to that. You sign the petition that says, I'm for unity. The way to stimulate unity in the church is be faithful in your ministry of your gift to every member that is with you. Not those that you prefer to every member. Getting involved so that you are in the Spirit of God what you are by the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you can contribute to what someone else needs. That's how you expand the unity. The unity of the church is not, let me keep silent about the things I disagree with. You know, I remember when we got these chairs and the carpet, um, I had several elders that were with me and I said, here's the deal on this. I'm not going to blow this church over the church, the chairs and the carpet. I'm going to pick someone to go pick it and do it and be done. And I don't want no opinions. And they all looked at me and they said, that's pretty brave. And I was like, I know what the alternative is. They said, all right. So I picked somebody. They picked everything. And I, when they came in, everybody says, well, are you? I said, it's already done. It's already done. Okay? Why? 
If you ask people, would you like to complain? They'll all say no for a minute. Well, let me express to you my thoughts. Ah, that's like complaining. Not making trouble is not what I'm talking about. That is not keeping the unity and the bonds of peace. It is making an effort. Now here, I want to use that word correctly. It's an effort. It is an effort to build the body of Christ into oneness. That is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with here. We must be committed to the unity. Because you know why? The Apostle to the Gentiles was committed to that unity. If you don't believe me, then go back and read Philippians chapter 2, the first eight verses. It is all about the body of Christ Jesus that each and every one of you are part of the plan. So, you can go home and chew on this for a week. Remember, the first three chapters is what our position is, what God's salvation has already done to every believer that is in the body. It is just, that's past tense. You possess all of it. You may not be spiritually mature to get a handle on it or even to walk in it or even to understand it. That's fine. You've got time, which means that the rest of this body should be helping that person to stand in the grace that has been given to us in the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is every one of yours responsibility. It doesn't say, Terry, go make disciples. It says, you who are saved, make disciples, make learners. And you know what that does? It grows the unity. You know what that does? It shows the community that this is a group of supernaturally empowered people, you might want to check out what they're doing. Because I got news for you, I will never buy into marketing. I'm not going to do into demographics or anything like that. I don't care what age you are. I don't care how tall you are. I don't care how short you are. I'm still going to give you the gospel. In season, out of season. But it is your responsibility to take everything that I'm giving you And give it to somebody else. That's discipleship. Because chapters 4 through 6 is the practice of that believer in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this letter is. It is totally awesome. But one of the things that I have watched is very few of us understand the first three chapters. Once you get the first three chapters, the last three chapters are easy. But the problem is, we want to do the last three chapters, and we're miserable. Because you don't know that you are in Christ. 
You are indwelt by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of the living God, that the God of creation will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ever think or imagine. That's good stuff, people. That's good stuff. We'll dig deeper next week. Welcome to chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Help us, Lord. Paul told young Timothy as he was preparing to die, Timothy, you've got to take over. Stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Know this, that men will not want sound doctrine, but being lovers of themselves. Father, we're eyeball deep in that. Let us not be found guilty of that. Let us walk in a manner worthy. Let us consider others. Every one of us in this church, let us consider others more important than ourselves. We love you. Praise you in Christ. Amen.